Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you'll hear an uplifting message from our pastor, Robert Madu. Go with me to the Gospel of Luke today. Luke chapter number five. Luke chapter five. Today is the climactic conclusion of a series we've been in called Fear God. Fear God. We've been in the series uh, for the last few weeks and we've been trying to understand this idea that is replete throughout Scripture that we are to fear the Lord. Been trying to grasp uh, what that means. And we've said throughout it that to fear God is not to be afraid of Him, but to fear God means to reverence Him, it means to take Him seriously. And I've been saying, and I'll probably say it again today if you want to know if you have the right fear, check your feet. Check your feet. If you're afraid of God, you'll run away from him, but if you fear God, if you reverence him, you will run towards him, which is what he wants. And so I encourage you, if you've not uh, seen those messages, they're all on YouTube, but today is the final installment of that message. Are you excited and ready to hear it? I know I'm supposed to preach this message. I told them in pre-service prayer, I went to go see my dear friend, Pastor Stephen Furtick, uh, last night. They had elevation nights. How many were there? I saw some people that came for that and said they're going to pull up on social today. And uh, I kid you not, um, I'm, I'm going over my message uh, during the day, and I went to the service, and I'm looking at my scripture before I get up, and this is the exact same text Pastor Stephen preached on. I was like, oh, I hear you, Lord. You really want uh, them to hear this, and so I know this is going to bless you. Luke chapter 5, we're going to start at verse number 1. When you're ready to read it, say, yeah. yeah. If you're not ready, say, hold up. There's a lot of holdups. Come on, I'll wait for you. I'll wait for you. Scroll to the Gospel of Luke, or if you just want to look at this big old electronic Bible on the screen. It says, once when he was standing on the shore, that he is Jesus, on the shore of the lake of Gennesaret, the crowd was pushing in on him to better hear the word of God. He noticed two boats tied up. The fishermen had just left them and were out scrubbing their nets. He climbed into the boat that was sitting there and using the boat for a pulpit. Woo! Using the boat for a pulpit. Who knew that a boat could be a pulpit? I should have brought a boat out here today. And he taught the crowd. When he finished teaching, he said to Simon, this is Simon, whose name would later be changed to Peter, push out into the deep water and let your nets out for a catch. Simon said, Master, hold up. Now, let's stay in our lanes, okay? You are a carpenter. Uh, I'm a fisherman, okay? I think I know what I'm doing. Uh, no, no, that's not what he said. He actually said, Master, we've been fishing hard all night and haven't caught even a minnow. But if you say so, I'll let out the nets. It was no sooner than done, a huge haul of fish straining the nets past capacity. Woo! They went from empty nets to nets that were being strained past capacity. I love that word right there. Somebody should do a whole series just on that word right there. And they waved to their partners in the other boat to come help them, and they filled both boats, nearly swamping them with the catch. Ooh, all these tangents I want to go on. But it's crazy how people are like, Lord, bless me. Lord, enlarge my territory. Lord, blow me up. Make me successful. Do you know what you're praying? Lord, 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 I want to just take me all over the world. You mad because three people commented on your page. You want to be the world? You want everybody to tell you what they think about you? You really know what you're praying for? Isn't it crazy that the blessing of God that came from the obedience from the word of God caused their nets to break and their boats to sink? Because sometimes success is stressful. 
sometimes the things you've been praying for, once you get it, you're like, why did I pray for this? I've seen people pray, Lord, please give us a child, and then have the child and say, I didn't know they were going to cry this much. Lord, take them back. Praying for a spouse, Lord, please, I'm so tired of being by myself. Get the spouse and like, can I please get some alone time? Just be careful because the blessing sometimes you're praying for will break you. And Simon Peter, when he saw it, fell to his knees before Jesus. Master, leave. I'm a sinner and can't handle this holiness. Leave me to myself. When they pulled in that catch of fish, awe overwhelmed Simon and everyone with him. It was the same with James and John, Zebedee's sons, co-workers with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, what somebody needs to hear today, there is nothing to fear. From now on, you'll be fishing for men and women. They pulled their boats up on the beach, left them, nets and all, and followed him. Can you say amen? Come on, say amen like you're ready to hear the word of God. Woo! I want to preach today not long because we got a fall festival and there is free popcorn. Amen. I want to preach in this last installment of this series, Fear God, from this thought, caught by surprise. Caught by surprise. Look at your neighbor, whichever one you like the best, and say, oh, neighbor, you can be caught by surprise. Look at your other neighbor and just look at him and say, boo. Yeah, just see if they flinched. <laughs> say, other neighbor, <laughs> you can get caught by surprise. If you believe God's going to speak, give him some praise right now. Ooh, you may be seated. Father, speak to us today. Lord, I pray that you would anoint every word that comes from my mouth to penetrate the hearts and the minds of all those who are gathered here today. God, I thank you that not a person in Gillies or watching online is watching by accident. God, you sovereignly orchestrated and ordained this moment. God, I come against every distraction that would stop us from hearing what you want to say today. And Lord, again, I pray that you would help your team, America's team, the Dallas Cowboys to defeat those Vikings tonight in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. My prayer's been working. I ain't going to stop. I ain't going to stop. Caught by surprise. How many would say that uh, you like surprises? Can I see your hand if you like surprises? <laughs> okay. How many of you say you, you don't like surprises and you should have told me that you were going to ask that question? Can I see y'all? <laughs> Come on, I, I'll, I'll join the all second group, second group. I, whoo, I do not like surprises. In fact, I'll go as far as to say, I hate surprises, okay? Do not surprise me. I take that back. It's not that I hate surprises. It's just, if you're going to surprise me, tell me. <laughs> just let me know first before you surprise me so I can prepare. I just think that's the courteous thing to do is to inform the person that you're surprising. And I was thinking about this text and thinking about surprises, and I'll never forget uh, the day that I got completely caught by surprise. The day I got caught by surprise was by my incredible wife, Pastor Taylor Madhu. She Ooh, she got me on my 30th birthday. My 30th birthday, I'll never forget it. She said, babe, you're turning 30. Uh, what do you want for your 30th birthday? I said, oh, it's just 30. It's not that big of a deal. I'm good. She's like, are you sure? I said, well, you know, it is three decades, and Jesus started his ministry at 30, so yes. 
It's a big deal. And I don't want to give you any ideas, but you know, Denzel Washington is playing on Broadway, Raisin in the Sun. I've only waited my whole life to actually see him, not on screen, but in person. So I think that would actually be a good gift if you wanted to surprise me with it. I already had the miles, and I booked the flight to New York. I actually found a hotel that's right next to the theater where he's playing, and it's only two seats left on the front row. I already have them in the car, so if you want to just click purchase, we can go ahead and go. <laughs> just surprise me with it. <laughs> And she's like, you are ridiculous. So she got the tickets for me, but here's how she got me. Before we're about to leave to the surprise trip to see Denzel on Broadway, she casually, casually, like on a Friday, says, babe, you want to go to the mall? I was like, the mall? Yeah, absolutely. I'm never missing a mall trip. But I'm just, I'm just chilling. I literally have gym shorts on. And she said it so casual. I didn't even catch it. She said, you want to go to the mall, babe? I was thinking of going. I was like, yeah, let's go. We go around the mall and we're walking, we're going through it. We're in Zara about eight hours and we're just chilling there. And we go and we finally get out the mall and we're about to like exit the mall and she just casually, she goes, you wanna get something to eat? I'm like, yeah, let's eat, let's go. She's like, well, Maggiano's is right here. I was like, cool, let's go eat. And we go around the corner, I'm in gym shorts. We go around the corner, I'll never forget it. We walk into Maggiano's, the hostess takes us to this upper room. I'm like, this is odd, we've never gone upstairs before. <laughs> but still not thinking anything. We come around the corner and all of a sudden, I hear 40 people, surprise! I say, ah! What is that? And she had all of my friends and family. When I tell you she got me, I was like, oh, after I got my composure, I said, oh my God, what didn't you tell me? I got gym shorts on. Oh, she got me so good. In fact, I almost got the picture because she got the moment. They took a picture of the moment when I came around the room and this was my face. That was my face when I saw everybody there because it was, it was a surprise. I was caught by surprise. I'm intrigued with the emotion of surprise because that is actually an emotion that has a universal face expression. Universal. Almost every person that gets surprised, they go. That's the first, that's the first thing. Because as soon as you get surprised, it's interesting what happens. Your eyebrows raise, your eyes open, your mouth opens. <gasps> you even take a quick gasp of air. Every person that gets surprised, <gasps> that's generally their emotion. And surprise is different than fear. It is different than anger because it is an emotion that only lasts for a little bit. Like fear you can have for a while, anger you can have for a while, but surprise only happens for a minute, it's just like you don't live in a constant state of surprise. Nobody you see just walking around. If they do, they had too much Botox. It's just, it, it, it's, it's an emotion that happens just for a moment. In fact, I love what one psychologist says the function of surprise is. The function of surprise, hear me, is to focus our attention so we can determine what's happening. The function of surprise is to focus our attention so we can determine what's happening. It's important to have that moment of, ha, 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 what, ha, ha, because as you're disoriented, your attention has now been focused so you can figure out what is happening, what is going on in this moment. Ladies and gentlemen, I think God's favorite emotion is surprise. I think Jesus loves throwing surprise parties. You know why? Because he is committed to getting your attention. He is committed to making you lean in to what he is doing in your life right now. Not what he did before, but what he is doing right now. He is so committed to your attention that he loves to surprise. He loves when you have this look of, 
He loves surprising you. Look at the life of Jesus. This is how he came to the earth. He came to the earth surprising people. Oh, yeah, that's how he entered. He entered on surprising. Can you see Mary planning for her wedding? Somebody, yeah, Joseph, I want the flowers to be like a neutral uh, color, yes. And that. Yeah, I don't think anything's going to interrupt my wedding, Joseph. I think it's going to be a really beautiful wedding. Is your mama coming? Yes, it's going to. And here, oh, here comes an angel, surprise, jacked up all her wedding plans, and she gives birth to the son of the living God. I'm telling you, God will surprise you because he's trying to get your attention. He will catch you by surprise. He did it at a wedding one day when they ran out of wine. And you know some religious people had to be at their wedding and say, I'm glad they ran out of wine. This ungodly party playing this music anyway. They shouldn't have had wine in the first place. I bet Jesus is glad that they ran out of wine. I bet he's going to say they shouldn't have had it in the first place. Ooh, surprise! He says, fill that up with water. And DJ, turn it up. They don't even know what's about to hit them. Sur surprise! He loves surprising you. He'll do it to get your attention. Oh, he did it one time. I love this one where he took three of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. Do you remember this story where he takes them up on a mountaintop, just randomly takes three of his inner circle to a mountaintop and without warning, without letting them know what's about to happen, without saying, watch this, your God and my Savior. The Bible says that his clothes started shining and his face became so bright and his clothes were whiter than anybody could bleach just randomly your God starts glowing in the dark on a mountaintop and then all of a sudden Moses and Elisha shows up I'm telling you Stephen King and horror movies ain't got nothing on Jesus can you imagine if we were in this service and all of a sudden my clothes of course I make myself Jesus in the story my clothes just start getting real bright I start glowing and all of a sudden Pac and Biggie just show up right here of people that you knew were dead. And I see the disciples on the mountain like, what? We didn't even know you did that, Jesus, because the whole time he was on earth, he concealed his glory so that he would look common, so that he would look just like you and I. But just for a moment, with his closest three, he said, I'm going to reveal to you my glory. I'm going to reveal to you the essence of who I really am. I'm going to show you how I could have walked on earth, but I chose to become just like you. He, he surprised them. Your God is always surprising us. Why? Because he wants to get our attention. He did it one time after the resurrection. Remember when the disciples were locked in the house because the warrants out for their arrest and they were scared to death. And he said, nobody can get in. Our savior, our hero has just been killed. He's just been crucified. Forgetting that he told him he was going to rise from the dead. And there they are locked in a room, scared to death, saying the door's locked. Y'all sure? Nobody can get in. And here comes Jesus walking through the wall. <laughs> Touch my hands. <laughs> Touch my feet. Surprise. God will often surprise you to catch you and to get your attention. But the thing that intrigues me is not just the things that Jesus does. I am intrigued and surprised by the people Jesus picks. It confuses me. Can we keep 100? Have you ever looked at somebody that Jesus picked and go, for real? <laughs> oh, Lord, them? <laughs> have you ever done? I have. I have. Oh, I did it this morning in the mirror. <laughs> Look in the mirror going, God, for real? <laughs> him? 
Why did you pick me? This is the question. When I get to heaven, I don't have a lot of questions. I don't want to talk to the Apostle Paul about theology. I don't want to know what Jesus wrote in the ground that day. And I just, when I get to heaven, I want to go, God, why me? What? Like, because see, y'all are like, no, Pastor Robert, of course you. I mean, you're a man of God. No, I know me. I know my issues. I know my idiosyncrasies. I know the jacked up stuff that I don't post on the gram. I know the stuff that I'm going, Lord, you got to help me in this area. I know the thoughts that come to my head. And every time I'm going, why me? You should have picked somebody else. Why me? It's funny. The people that God will pick to use. And some of you right now, you're wrestling with insecurity. Wrestling with your confidence and fear is having a heyday on you because you can't comprehend the fact that he picked you, that he chose you. But I'm going to give you something that will bless your life. Who, who God picks never makes sense. It doesn't make sense. The people that God picks, it never makes sense. So if you're like me looking in the mirror going, God, why in the world would you choose somebody as messed up and as frail as me and it doesn't make sense? Guess what? You are the man. You are the woman for the job because the people that God picks, it never makes sense. And I wish our world and our society would begin to understand this because it's funny the people that think God is going to consult you about somebody he picked. But how many are thankful that God doesn't talk to other people before he picks you. He will pick whoever he wants. He will use whoever he wants. He will call out and elevate whoever he wants. Oh, I love it. People love to turn up their nose at the people they don't think God should have picked. In fact, our generation, we on some brand new stuff. You have people that don't make a whole YouTube page just to talk about the people that they don't think should have been picked. And you're using that person's platform to get you some more views and say, let me do a whole post on why I don't think they should be picked. And maybe you're on the other end of that and you're getting all defensive. You're like, well, maybe you're trying to prove that you were picked. You're trying to justify that. Can I give you a line real quick that'll bless you? Stop trying to justify yourself. Justification is not your job. Justification is on Jesus. He justified me when he died on the cross. Quit trying to justify yourself. The next time I time somebody's talking about you and saying all the reasons why you shouldn't be picked, you need to just look at them and say this, I know it don't make sense, but I'm still picked. Oh, I know it don't make sense. I'm just as confused as you, but somehow, some way, God chose me. It wasn't my record. It wasn't my ingenuity. It wasn't my gift or my talent. It's just the fact that God will use weakness to bring strength out. God will use the crazy things to bring wisdom out. God! I need some picked people to just take 10 seconds and give God some praise. Like you're thankful that God don't call a committee before he picks you. God don't take a vote before he picks you. He will pick whoever he wants. I know it don't make sense. I'm still picked. I know you can't understand it. I'm still picked, though. Your opinion does not deny the fact that he picked me. I don't like his preaching. I'm still picked. <laughs> I don't know if they should have church in Gillies. We still picked. <laughs> I love that God doesn't consult or call a committee meeting for whoever he wants to pick. He just picks who he wants. He'll pick a murderer to write the Bible. 
I love what this murderer said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. This is for some of y'all, especially if you ever think you all that. You ought to read this verse right here. This will humble you right here because this is what the Apostle Paul, somebody who knew that God will pick the least likely. Look at what he says to the crazy church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. He said, don't get it twisted. Don't forget where you came from. He says, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to bring shame to the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world so that he could get glory out of it, to nullify the things that are so that no one would boast before him. God says, I got to pick the least likely, so when I elevate that person, they can never say it was by their might or by their power, but it was only by my hand. So that's why this text makes sense to me, that whenever Jesus got ready to pick his disciples, got ready to pick his crew, he does not go to the seminary, he does not go to the Sanhedrin, he does not go to the upper echelon of the most prestigious fantasy university, he goes to the beach. He goes to the beach. And I love it because the Bible says that he goes to the edge of the beach, the water's edge. Actually, he didn't really go there. He was pushed there. He was pushed to the water's edge because of the massive crowd that was coming to hear him preach. You do know that every time your God opened up his mouth, people came from everywhere. He had this, he had this magneticism about him where everywhere he went, people were like, I got to hear what he has to say. Can you imagine? This is so large a crowd that the entire crowd has taken up the landmass. There's no more ground to stand on. That's how many people are standing there. They have completely pushed Jesus to the edge of the water. That's how many people were gathered to hear the words come out of the mouth of Jesus. And I love that the Bible says that he just preached the word to them. He taught them the word of God. How powerful is that? That Jesus, although he did miracles, he did not have a ministry of miracles. Although he did healing, his primary purpose was not just healing. Although he did deliverance, his primary purpose was not deliverance. His primary purpose was to preach and teach the word of God the kingdom of God. That's what he did in the crowds. He would preach. In fact, the miracles were just a message to draw you back to what he was saying. He preached the what? Can you imagine what it would have been like that day to be on that land and to look at Jesus standing on the edge of the water and to watch him preach the word of God? Please don't make you think that it's what's happening right here. Like, this is different. Yes, I'm up here and I'm preaching the word of God, but this is just a crazy dude preaching the word of of God. You understand when Jesus was preaching the word of God, he was the word preaching the word. Come here, John. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That means if Jesus wanted to really preach, he didn't even have to say anything because his body was preaching. If Jesus really wanted to preach a message, this is all he had to say. And he still would have been preaching because he was the word made flesh. Can you imagine what it would have been like to hear the living word preaching the written word? There they are, captivated by the words that are emanating from the mouth of the master. And there he is, looking at the crowd, but out his peripheral, he's looking at these four fishermen who are on the edge. 
They're on the edge of the water and the shore. They're on the edge. They're right on the edge. And they're washing their nets. And their boats have been docked. And they're there on the edge washing their nets. I believe God uses everything to preach. And I love that they were physically on the edge, but they were also spiritually on the edge. They were on the edge of their purpose and their destiny. They were on the edge of a moment that was going to change their life forever. They were on the edge of a moment that was going to transition them from the vocation of being a fisherman to fishing for men and women. They were right on the edge of a moment that was going to change their life forever, and they didn't even realize it. Oh, I don't know who this is for today, but I felt like when I was praying this morning that somebody just came to a service on Sunday, and you thought you were just coming to church, but God said, no, you are actually right on the edge of a transition that is about to push you into your destiny. You are right on the edge of a moment where you will never be the same again. You are right on the edge. Oh, don't push me. I'm close to the edge. They're at the water's edge. And the crowd, they're waiting for the sermon. These fishermen, not even paying attention to Jesus' sermon. You know what they're doing? Wouldn't be a message if I didn't bring something. Jesus preaching, the crowd is on tiptoe anticipation, waiting for the message. These dudes not even paying attention to Jesus. The Bible says they're washing their nets. Can you see them? Washing their nets with an attitude. Here's how I know they're washing with attitude. Because I started studying this. I don't fish. But I found out that in that time period, if you were going to catch fish, you didn't need to become obsessed with fish. You had to become obsessed with your net. It's funny. that The thing you're trying to catch is actually the thing you don't need to pay attention to. Pay attention to the net. A fisherman was only as good as his net. So the net was everything. They would check those nets for holes because if holes were in your net, you could be trying to catch fish and Nemo and them would just go, oh, got a hole, got a and get out. They had to check their nets and wash them from the smell because fish stank. And if you caught so many fish, the residue of the smell of the fish would still be on the net. And the goal was to throw the net out and they not see the net. That's why they fished at night. It was to get the fish not to see the net. So you want a net with no holes that didn't smell like fish. So the fish would just be swimming and not even realize they're swimming in the net. And then you would catch them. And these fools are mad washing the nets. Oh, I know they were mad. Because you can't put this moment in context until you realize what happened the night before. <laughs> the night before this moment they met Jesus, all night. Row, row, row your boat on the Sea of Galilee. Throw the net, bring it back. No fish for me. Okay, that's cool. It's just... It's just midnight. Let's keep going. Row, row, row your boat. See you, Galilee. Come on, we do this all the time, boys. Let's go. Throw the net. Bring it back. 
No fish we see. All right, cool. You know, you know they be scared at first. It's cool. It's cool. What time is it? 1 a.m.? All right, cool. We got, we got some time. We got row, row, row your boat. Sea of Galilee. Throw the net. Bring it back. My Lord, what is going on today? Did you clean it last time? Okay. 1 a.m. 3 a.m. 5 a.m. 6 a.m. Empty net. Didn't catch anything. Ooh. This is a place for me to insert this thought. That they're upset. They're completely frustrated because they hadn't caught any fish. But they don't even realize that frustration is a gift. Frustration is a gift. Frustration is different than failure. Because these are expert fishermen. They know what to do. They've done this before, several times. But for whatever reason, the thing that they always do, that always worked, is not working. And there's nothing more frustrating than doing something that you know how to do, but for whatever reason, it is not working. Oh, y'all don't want to talk back to me. There is nothing more annoying than doing something that you are proficient at, something that you know in, something you got a degree in, something that you've done all the time, something that you know all too well, but for whatever reason, when you're doing it, it's not working. Some of you right now are doing something that is not working, and you're completely frustrated, and you're mad at God, but God said, no, nah, that frustration is a gift. I'm using that frustration as an invitation to show you that that season is over and I'm actually pushing you into something else. Oh, thank God for frustration. Thank God for doing things that aren't working, but God said I need it to not work because I need you to see I'm trying to do something new and if it kept working, you would keep going back to it and you wouldn't follow me, so I'm giving you the gift of frustration. Look, I done caught myself in my net. Isn't that crazy? When you get caught in the thing that you're used to using. Fished all night, caught nothing. Hear me, this is more of a prophetic word than it is a sermon. There's somebody that's been doing something that's not working, and the frustration is an invitation to the new season God is pushing you into. The frustration is not your enemy. The frustration is a gift from God because it was in the place of frustration as they're washing nets that never caught any fish that Jesus gets in Peter's boat, sits down in the boat, and then says, hey, bro, can I borrow it? Can you do me a favor and just push out to the shore? He gets in Peter's boat, and then he asks him to do something. Isn't that just how God works? He will come in your life and make himself available, but he will still ask you to do something. He sits down in Peter's boat and says, hey, I need you to do me a favor. I want you to push out into the water. This is a defining moment for Peter. Because how he responds to this moment will determine the trajectory of his life. 
There are some decisions in your life that you don't even realize that how you respond to it in that moment will shape and determine the rest of your life. If Peter has the nerve or the audacity to say, hey, bro, I don't know you like that. Get out my boat and don't tell me what to do. He will miss the greatest miracle of his life. He will miss the greatest internship of his life if he responds the wrong way. But look at Peter. Jesus sits in his boat. He says, would you just push out to the shore? And he does it. He pushes out. He obeys. Somebody in here today, God's presence is here. He sat in your boat. But he wants to know, will you obey and do the thing that you have to do? He didn't get in the boat and then start pushing. He just made himself available in the boat and then gave him a command to push. And Peter obeyed. And he pushed out to the shore. And he's just far enough. Why? Because Jesus, I've been to the Sea of Galilee where this is. It calls it the Lake of Gennesaret, but it's the Sea of Galilee. I've been there in Israel. It's at the lowest point, surrounded by mountains. And so look what God wants to do. He's trying to just get a little bit from the shore because he wants to actually use the acoustics of the environment that he created so that his words can hit the waves and echo to the mass of people that are out there. He created his own microphone system. But he needed Peter's boat to do it. And he wasn't going to force Peter to do it. He was just going to sit down and ask him, will you push out to the shore? I don't know who this is for today, but God wants to know, can he use your boat? Can he use your boat? Can he use your business? Can he use your life? Can he use your boat? I believe that Jesus is sitting in some people's boat, but they refuse to push out into the shore. They refuse to do what he's telling you to do. And God wants to know, can he use your boat? Because a boat is just a vessel. A boat is a vessel. And that's all God is looking for. He's looking for vessels that will be available and just do what he's telling you to do. Can he use your boat? Can he use your social media? Can he use it for his glory? Or all we get is duck face. Can he use your shopping? See, this is the thing. Sometimes we demonize boats. But they're actually things that God just wants to use. He can use, they're inanimate objects that God wants to use. He, can, he wants to use your shopping. Don't just go to the store and buy the shoes. Ask the person, hey man, how you doing? Engage with them. You ain't got a church. Man, you been to Gillies before? He wants to use your boat. Don't just golf to golf. Find somebody to golf with that needs the gospel. And don't talk about Jesus first. Talk about golf first and build relationship because those are not your clubs. That's your, that's your boat. That's your boat. Can God use your boat? I'm telling you, if you give God your boat, you will see a blessing in your life like you've never seen before. He wants to know, can he use your boat? Your marriage can be a boat. It can be a boat to show the world how to love your spouse and reflect the glory of God. Can he use your boat? He's just looking for some boats to use. I almost titled this message, Boats. 
boats. B O A T S. Boats. I almost titled that. And I was going to call it Based on a True Story. Oh, I should have did that title. <laughs> Off of that reaction. Oh! Because that's what God wants. He wants to use your story. He wants to use your testimony. Because you know what a boat does. A boat is simply a vessel that floats in environments that other people sink in. God is just looking for a vessel that will float in an environment where other people are sinking in. And I'm wondering, are there any boats at Gillies that God can use that you can float in an environment that other people are sinking in? So when people see you floating while they're sinking, they're going, how in the world you floating? And you can say, it's not by my might. It's not by my power. I just got Jesus on my, on my boat. How you got your peace in a pandemic? He's on my boat. How you not stressed out? He's on my boat. How you still got joy and you got cancer? He's on my I need somebody to give God the best praise that you got. If you know God wants to use you to float in some things that other people are drowning in. Oh! Look at your neighbor say, you better float. You better flow. What do you call to do flow? I'm going to float in an environment that other people are drowning in. And when they see you floating, don't forget to give them the glory. Say, it ain't me. I don't even know how buoyancy works. All I know is I did what he told me to do. And I went out to the shore. So there's Peter in the boat with Jesus. And Jesus is preaching. Can you see it? Can you see Jesus preaching? And Peter is there sitting next to him in the boat, hearing the message that Jesus is preaching. I love it because to me, the net is what the gospel is. Can I do something really crazy? Y'all don't sue me. To me, whenever I preach, this is what I see myself doing. Somebody give back to me real quick, because that was a bad throw. Thank you, Jay. See, every time, every, every Sunday I get up, this is how I see what I'm doing, just. I'm trying one more time. Y'all laughing, this is how I feel sometimes when I'm preaching my heart out, and y'all just sitting up there looking at you, won't say amen. I'm like, all right, let's try again. Got somebody, can you throw it back to me? This, that's what the gospel does. It's just, oh. That's what the gospel does. Uh-oh, call. Keep the net. Keep it, keep it. <laughs> Souvenir. So I see Jesus. I see him preaching. And as he's preaching, he's throwing it out. But what I love is he's sitting next to Peter. So although he's already throwing it out, he's already got a big catch in the boat. He's already caught Peter. Peter is forced to sit there and listen to a message because his boat has become a pulpit. And he probably wouldn't even been open to letting his boat be a pulpit if he hadn't been frustrated from catching no fish. I'm telling you, frustration is a gift. If he had so many fish that morning, he would have been like, oh, no, you can't use my boat. I'm good, Jesus. You know, I got to go sell these fish. See, that's some of you right now. See, you still catching fish? 
<laughs> and your life is still good right now. You got money in the bank. Everything is good. All right. I promise you there's going to come a time where you got an empty net and you're going to come to Jesus and say, God, I need you. I'm desperate for you. I'm drowning right now. Thank God for the frustration that allowed the boat to become the pulpit. And now Jesus has a captive audience. Not just the people out there, but Peter in the boat has already been caught. The one that will preach on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people will be saved. The one who will be used to bring the gospel to Cornelius' house, the one that will be used to write books in the Bible is in the boat caught. You know why I love throwing it out? Did y'all got my net untangled? You know why I love throwing it out? Because you don't know who you're going to catch. You don't know what you're going to catch. I wasn't trying to do that. I didn't plan it. I just threw the net out. Catching myself. This is why the gospel is powerful, because you don't know who you're going to catch. This, this week we had an incredible week, because the ladies had their first social girls night up in here. It was powerful. 800 plus women gathered in this place under leadership of Pastor Taylor. Phenomenal. And before the night, they had a trivia thing where they said, uh, when did social girls start? And I think the answer was like, well, there was a lot of answers people were trying to figure it out. But I think it was, they said September or March, and it was like 50 women in the Lumen Room is where it started. And then this week, 800 plus women. So don't despise small beginnings. And I love Pastor Taylor because the same passion she had with the 800, same passion she had with the 50. Same smile, same prayer, same attention to detail. Because if you're waiting to get a big crowd or for it to be big for you to take it seriously, how can God ever trust you? 50 to 800 plus. And they were trying to figure out when did the first social girl start? And how many know the answer to that question gets kind of fishy? Because some would say, which I think was the answer, 50 women in the Lumen Room. But I would beg to differ. I think it started with a drunk, a town drunk by the name of Jack Snyder in Arkansas who would get wasted every single day. Everybody knew him as the town drunk. Said, oh yeah, that's Mr. Snyder, always drunk. Except for one man of God who kept throwing the net out to Mr. Snyder. Kept throwing the net out and it seemed like it wasn't working. To one day, Mr. Snyder, the drunk, became Mr. Snyder, the pastor, and surrendered his life to Jesus. Oh, it gets better. Didn't have a big church. 20 people in his congregation. Didn't make a lot of money. But on top of pastoring his church of 20 people, he would go to the hospitals in Arkansas. He would visit people in the hospital and just share the gospel with them. Just in the hospital, going room to room. Throw on the net. He goes into one hospital room one day and sees a young man who was about to almost lose his leg from a ski accident. 
shares the gospel with this young Lutheran boy, 19 years old. That boy in the hospital gives his life to Jesus. His name is Robbie Mitchell, Taylor's father. Gets out of that hospital room and says, I have had an encounter with Jesus. I'm leaving it all and starts preaching the gospel around the world. Every place he can go, start, changes the trajectory of his family, starts raising Taylor and her sisters and her brother in a house that will lift up the name of Jesus and honor him. Where does social girl start? It gets fishy. He starts changing their family. All of a sudden, 30 years plus he's been preaching the gospel. Mr. Snyder passes away, goes home to be with the Lord. Taylor's dad goes to the funeral to honor the man that changed his life because he came to his hospital room. As he's laying there, he has the Bible on his chest that he would use when he went from hospital room to hospital room. As he's standing there, he's saying he is a great man. And another man comes up to Taylor's dad and puts his arm around him. And Taylor's dad looks at the man and says, I knew him. He was an incredible man. And the man that put his arm around him says, oh, I know about you. And I know that you knew him. This older man says, I'm the one that led this drunk now turned pastor to the Lord. I'm the one that shared the gospel with him. And he says, I'll never forget the day he met you in the hospital, 19 years old, about to lose your leg from a ski accident. He says, I'll never forget that day because he came out of the hospital room and he talked to me and said, whoo, I think I caught a big one today. Wow. Wow. Where did social girls start? I think it started with a drunk dude that everybody walked past. But one man said, let me go ahead and just throw this net. Peter is in the boat, and he's been caught by Jesus. Worship team, join me. Jesus finishes preaching to the crowd, and now he's going to minister to Peter. Because Jesus cares about the crowd, and he cares about the one. And look at what he says to Peter. He says, Peter, I want you to launch your net out into the deep. Launch your net out to the deep for a catch. He told Peter, hear me, to do something completely opposite and antithetical to everything he knew. It's completely opposite. Fishermen in that time period, you fished at night. This is the daytime. You fished in the shallow end to catch the fish. He says, no, don't be shallow. Go into the deep. None of it makes sense. 
The goal is to be discreet. The goal is to fish at night so the fish don't see you. The goal is to be in the shallow because that's where they feed in the night. None of this makes sense. This is completely antithetical to everything this professional fisherman has known. But how many of you know when God calls you to do something, it might not make sense. But if he tells you to do it, you have to do it. It might not add up on paper. It might not look like it's right. But I'm telling you if he told you to do it you gotta do it and I love Peter I love him so much because it's not like he's full of faith it's not like he says of course you're the son of God I'll do whatever you say of course I'll go out to the deep I'm not trying to be shallow anymore no he's completely honest with his emotions he said, hey I was doing this all night it didn't work but because you say so, that's the shift. I love that I can come to God with my emotions of how I feel. And even if I'm not feeling it, if I will be obedient, I will still reap the benefit of obedience. Oh, this messed me up. Because I used to think you got to feel it. You got to be full of faith. Peter wasn't feeling it. He goes, look, I fished all night. It didn't work. But because you say so, I'm going to go out into the deep. And he obeys, even when he didn't want to, even when he didn't feel it. Can I be honest with you all today? And I don't know if this is even something a pastor should say. I am living this passage right now. I'm living this passage. Because nothing in me ever wanted to plant a church. Ease, I'm telling the truth. I try to get people to, I'm, I'm getting calls now from people who are church planners like, can we get your plan and your layout? Here's my plan. I didn't want to do it. <laughs> Told him that. 16 years traveling to other churches, preaching for other pastors and happy to do it. Love to just drop a word and be like, you disciple and figure that stuff out. I'm out. <laughs> I never wanted to pastor a church. But in 2019, I knew God was doing something different. And God said, go to Granada Theater and just, just do service once a month. That's what he said at that time. He didn't say plant a church at that time. He said, just go once a month. I said, I'll do it. Met at Granada Theater once a month. And I remember the first night, wasn't this many people there. And I remember the first night, and I knew he was stirring me, but I was like, God, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a, like, I can preach, but I don't know how to lead. I'm just, all of that, I'm like, but God's picks don't make sense. Quit disqualifying yourself. His picks won't make sense to you. And I told him, I said, God, this is not me. But I do remember that first night of Granada, I said, God, now I'm not trying to plant a church, but man, if I did, I think it would look kind of like this vibe in Granada Theater. Just did it once a month. 2020, felt God saying, have it every week. And it was so crazy. We were having services every week. But saying, this ain't a church. <laughs> Y'all have worship? Yeah. Y'all have preacher? Yeah. Connect groups, three of them, yeah. 
Y'all meet every week? Yeah, but it's not a church. <laughs> We're just having services. Did that every week till the pandemic. And everything shut down. We didn't even have a camera. Not one. Look how many cameras we got in here. Pastor Taylor was the camera person in our living room filming these sermons that I'm preaching during a pandemic. 3.2 people watching. I'm for real. Two of them were us. <laughs> and it looks so stupid. It, it didn't make, it's going out into the deep. It didn't make sense. Kept doing it. Easter comes. We finally like, we're a church. Just doing what he says. We make the decision on Easter to not just have night services, but to start having morning services at the high five. We found out that morning that we could have service the next week, that Sunday. Found out that morning. Literally, they came in the office and like, hey, we can, we can let y'all have service next Sunday. Came out like it was all planned. Hey, we've decided to have service next Sunday here at the high five. Going out into the deep, scared, feeling unprepared. Well, because you say so. Took a whole month off in July. Didn't preach. And we grew every single week while we were gone. Outgrew the high five. Who plants a church and then leaves for a month? It doesn't make sense. Because you say so. Came back. Came here to Gillies. And look at this room right now. Next Sunday, we're going to another service. I didn't see all of this when he said do it once a month. I didn't want to do it. But because you say so, he launches out into the deep. And all of a sudden, the largest catch of his life. Do you know how many fish have to be in a net for next nets to start snapping and breaking? Do you know how many fish you have to be catching for you to yell for other ships to come and help you? Do you know how many fish you have to have for your boat to be sinking because of the weight of the fish? I'm thankful for a God that because of obedience can take you from the frustration of an empty net to a completely full net Come on, to making you call out to other people to say, help me with this. I wasn't expecting it, but I sure need some help. Oh, that's the beauty of where our church is right now. You see all these volunteers and people we got serving? These are people who just joined on the team and say, I see there's so many fish, and I don't want it to sink, so let me help. Let me join in. That's why you're needed. That's why God called you. He didn't just call you to come to a church and sin. We need some people that will help bring in the harvest that is in Dallas. We need some people that will help. Because there's people who are desperate and dying. The biggest catch of his life. Boats are full. This is a fisherman's dream. This is where I got confused in the story. Caught myself again. 
I'm done. This is why I got confused. Because you would think that after catching the greatest fish, after the biggest catch of your life, you would think the reaction would have been praise. You would have think the reaction would have been, thank you, Savior. Oh, my goodness. Let me post this. Everybody's got to see this. It's not what he did. He looks at the boat full, the biggest catch of his life. And he looks at Jesus. He says, get away from me. Get away from me, please, please, Master. Master, depart from me. Why? Peter, are you telling him to depart? When you should be celebrating, you just got the greatest catch. Because Peter knew. Peter knew. He's an expert fisherman. He knew that the only way somebody could cause that many fish to come that person must be able to speak to the fish. He knew he was not dealing with somebody who was normal. He knew he was dealing with God and flesh. There was a reverence. There was a fear. Up until that point, I think he knew he might have been a teacher. I think he knew he was a preacher. I think he knew he was a healer. But in that moment, it was his first revelation that would continue to come that this is God and flesh. This is no ordinary man. This is God walking, living, breathing among us. This is no ordinary man. And he says, depart, because it hit him. And if this Savior can see into the depths of the sea, he can see into the depths of me. And so he says, Jesus, no, no, no. If you can see in that see, you can see into me. And Jesus, I'm telling you, I got issues. I'm telling Jesus, I cuss people out. Jesus, I got anger issues. I got no, and I know you can see all of that. Please depart from me. Please, no, go away. I, I can't handle your holiness. And that's what so many of us feel whenever God reveals who he is. Some of you feel it now. And that's why you run away from God and you run away from his presence because in his presence you see your laws and you see all your issues and some of you right now are doing like Peter saying depart from me but God doesn't want you to depart he sees all your issues but he also sees the potential he sees what he can do through you he sees what he can do in you if you would just surrender your life to him don't push him away draw towards him run towards him he says Peter don't push me away yeah, I can see all your stuff, just like I can see into the sea, but I also see what you don't see. I see you preaching on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people getting saved. Peter, I see you sharing the gospel around the world. Peter, I see you. Yes, I see the issues, but boy, I see the potential too. I feel like there's some people in here today who have been stiff-arming God saying depart and you're afraid and he's saying no follow me what would make a fisherman forsake his business his boats and the greatest fish he's ever caught the love of a savior that not only sees your flaws but sees the potential of what he can do in you and through you and that's what made him follow him God's calling us not to fear him by pushing him away. What I've been saying this whole series is fear him by running towards him. By saying, God, I need you. I reverence you. Let him use your boat, your life. 
to declare the glorious gospel. I'm telling you, the thing you're ashamed of can become a boat based on a true story. You can tell people the story of how he rescued you, how you floating when everybody's sinking. It's a beautiful Savior that caught me by surprise. Would you stand to your feet all over this place today? Father, I thank you today for your word. Lord, I was obedient to what you told me to do. I just threw out the net. But in this moment, I'm asking you to do what I cannot do. That is to speak to the heart of the one you're calling back home today. Speak to the heart of the one who has so many excuses of why you can't use them and all they can see is their flaws and their failures. God, I pray today you would so lovingly and sweetly speak to them about the potential, about how you can use them if they would just reverence you and come to you. Father, don't let us stiff arm you anymore when you are calling us to come close. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed all over this place today. Leave somebody is going to get caught today by surprise. I know it surprises you that God wants to use you or that he would want you, but it is no surprise to him. The Bible says, while we were sinners, God loved us and died for us. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed all over this place today, if you're in here today and you'd be so honest to say, Pastor Robert, I've not surrendered my life to Jesus. And maybe the enemy's been loud in your ear about all your flaws and why you can't. No, he is calling you home. He wants to make you fishers of other people. Peter didn't have to make himself. All he had to do was follow Jesus. Jesus said, I'll make you if you follow me. But it started with him forsaking who he was and stepping into who God was calling him to be. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, Pastor Robert, I need to forsake the old me and surrender my life to Jesus and step into who he's calling me to be. I don't care if it's one person, you'd be worth it today. If that's you, would you just lift up your head high enough and long enough to where I could see it today? Say, Lord, I'm giving you my life today. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of stiff-arming you. Today is the day I am coming to you. I see hands going up all over this place. Maybe you're somebody today that used to be walking with the Lord, but your heart got cold and you rejected, and he's calling you back home today. We say it every week. You can always come home. You can always come home. That's you. Would you just lift up your hand high enough, long enough to where I can see it? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. I see so many hands. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, that you can see into the depths of us. You can see our issues, but you see the potential of what you're calling us to be. Thank you. Lord, that you catch us by surprise, that you would want to use us. Anybody else? I'm going to ask you to be so bold, so brave. If you lifted up your hand or you should have lifted up your hand, this is not to embarrass you. This is to make a public declaration. Come on, everybody on that shoreline that day saw Peter forsake the greatest catch of his life and follow this amazing, beautiful, loving Savior. So if you lifted up your hand or you should have, when I count to three, I'm going to ask you to be so bold, so brave, and just come out of your seat and come up here to the front. Don't worry about what somebody else is going to think about you. This is between you and your 
your God who is calling you to step into a new place. One, come on. Two, three. Would you come? Would you come? Just right up here to the front. Come on. Yeah, all the way up here to the front. Thank you, Jesus. I don't care who you got to move out the way to come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. Come on. Come on. Even if you're all the way in the back, I'm telling you, that walk from the back to the front, it's worth it. It's worth it to come home. It's worth it to come to this beautiful Savior who sees into you. He sees the flaws and the issues, but he sees the potential. Come on. I wish I had a church that would celebrate, that would celebrate what God is doing. Come on. That's why you had to be here today. That's why you had to be here today. Come on, church, don't stop clapping until they stop coming. This is your day. This is your moment. You are right on the edge, right on the water's edge. And today's the day you're crossing over from death to life, from darkness to light, from hopelessness to hope, from pain to power. Just get as close to the front as you can. Thank you, Jesus. They're still coming. Yeah, they're still coming. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you that you don't stop chasing after us. Thank you that you don't give up on us. Thank you that you don't look at other people before you decide to pick us. You just picked us. It doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense. You picked us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Anybody else? Anybody else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're still coming. They're still coming. This is why you had to be here today. This is why you had to be here today. He's been pursuing you. He's been pursuing you. He's been pursuing you. He loves you so much. He's been pursuing you. Thank you, God. Anybody else? Anybody else? Those are at this altar, I just want you to just close your eyes. Just pretend like you're the only person in here. Pretend like you're Peter and it's just you and him on the boat. Yes, Jesus cares about the crowd, but he also cares about the one. After he talked to the crowd, he talked to Peter. You've already done something so brave. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to walk down an aisle of Gillies in front of a bunch of people. That's launching out into the deep, but I'm telling you, you're about to receive the greatest blessing, the free gift of salvation that is not predicated upon your works or what you've done, but upon everything that Jesus already did for you. I know it doesn't make sense, but it is true that he paid the price, that he lived the life that we were supposed to live and died the death we were supposed to die. want us to pray this prayer as one big family we're all going to pray it but especially those of you who have responded I'm giving you the words but you just say it from your heart today would you say this say Jesus I need you Lord today I surrender Lord thank you for catching me by surprise Jesus I'm surprised you love me so much that you would pay the price for my sin. You would take my place. Jesus, today, I give you everything. I give you my heart. 
give you my mind, give you my soul. Make me brand new from this moment forward. I leave my past behind and I'm following you. Thank you for calling me. Thank you for bridging the gap that made a way for me to follow you. I'm not looking back. My eyes are fixed on you. From this moment forward, I am yours. Come on, if you meant what you pray, would you give God praise today? We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online, and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world.